The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you all back, but I'm even more excited for our guest today. He is the principal of MAG Capital Partners, uh, Neil Walgren. Neil, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Cody. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Super excited to have you. I'm hydrated, as we were just talking about right before we hit record. <laughs> so I'm super excited to have you on and, and to hear your story and uh, get your experience today. But before we jump into that, just in case people hear in your voice, seeing your face for the first time, would love to get your origin story, where you're from, what kind of real estate uh, or how you got into real estate and what kind of real estate you find yourself in these days. Appreciate you asking. So, you know, Neil Walgren, I'm with Mag Capital Partners. My, my origin, I guess, you know, born and raised a little outside of San Francisco in the burbs of NorCal. Kind of had a nice sheltered suburban life and decided I needed something a little, little different. So I ended up Air Force Academy and ended up doing about 10 years um, active duty in the Air Force and then the Navy Reserve flying the, the C-130 Hercules. So it was a good chunk of my 20s and early 30s. Ended up you know, flying all over the world, lived in Tokyo. Like I was saying before, about five or six different states, uh, mostly in the South, um, some time in the Middle East, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq. And yeah, just great, you know, kind of maturing, refining, you know, phase of life, I guess. And, you know, near, near the end of that, I started finding, you know, a lot of guys, especially in the reserves, like to kind of fly part-time and then have, you know, in today's language, uh, side hustles, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people did different stuff. Some would do hobbies, some would have other jobs. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, you're up at up at altitude on, on autopilot and, you know, farting over the Pacific and doing not a lot up there, to be honest. And, you know, you just start chatting about what you're doing. And I noticed more and more guys were talking about, you know, little bits and pieces of how they were involved in real estate. Some guys, Hey, I, you know, I bought a house down the street. Other ones say, Hey, I, you know, bought a house in a state I've never even been to, you know, and, and others, were actually involved in, you know, either active or passive roles at commercial real estate. And, you know, started, you hear, hear something over and over and, you know, you see your friends do it and you get a little FOMO. So <laughs> I ended up doing a couple of turnkey single family homes, you know, real cheap out in Indiana. And, you know, I think I put down, you know, 25 or 30 K on each one. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great kind of first experience there. That's what kind of got my, my feet wet. And then over the next course of the next several years, I realized, hey, you know, I think I'm actually enjoying this investment thing more than the professional flying. So that was effectively my catalyst for getting out of the, the flying world. You know, I still do it for fun, just as a hobby. But, uh, you know, in terms of your, you know, kind of day-to-day grind and passion, you know, I realized the, you know, the real estate side was really exciting to me. So I ended up moving to San Francisco, joined kind of a smaller startup firm that was really equity focused. So got to, you know, kind of have a neat role running operations and eventually uh, finished as president of this company where we had a, you know, kind of built up network of, you know, investment partners, uh, retail high net worth individuals. And we would partner with, you know, commercial real estate brokers or developers 
you know, effectively people that had a skill set of a very niche asset class, but didn't necessarily have that, you know, equity relationship to feel like, you know, got to really have these intimate partnerships with different sponsors. You know, we got to see multifamily and multi-tenant retail and commercial office. And, you know, we had a, a ground up senior assisted living operator. And then we also had an industrial operator and that was mag capital. So we, we worked with them kind of very early in their formation for a couple of deals. And, you know, really, especially seeing all these different types of asset classes over time, I'm like, Hey, you know, you kind of figure out which ones you like, you figure out which teams you like. And I really kind of had a great, you know, pairing of the two with mag capital and, you know, just these single tenant, triple net manufacturing, tenanted industrial buildings and they're boring and they're ugly and it's just four walls and a roof in the middle of nowhere. But when you pair that with some magic happening inside, you know, really your, your underwriting is incredibly simple and able to achieve. And, you know, your returns, you know, quite often can be comparable, if not better than a lot of, you know, much more hands-on asset classes. So ultimately ended up joining them full-time a couple of years ago. Man, that's awesome. And listen, I, I, I love what you're talking about there because to your point, sometimes the boring stuff that you see on the side of the road is often the most intriguing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where a lot of people really are probably making a lot of their money. And my partner and I were talking about this the other day is, you know, you find something that isn't always as shiny or as nice or where people really think to look or, or want to do, but it's still a need for the community, for other uh, businesses. It's a win-win. So no, I, I I absolutely love that. And I applaud you for that. And I love that you said you were just, you know, kind of putzing over the the Pacific there. Uh, <laughs> most of us do that of it. On, on our Saturday. Yeah. Uh, most pilots will tell you it's way more glamorous than it really is. <laughs> There's a lot of drone times. <laughs> I can understand that. That's a, that's a, that's a big open ocean. There's, there's probably a lot of time to, to hang out and chat. Not, oh, not much to sure. see or do, or at least yeah. hopefully. But, you know, you said you've had a ton of experience, a bunch of different asset classes, you know, you, you've been in it for a while. I, I can't imagine everything has just been sunshine and rainbows, as we say sometimes. So wanted to see what kind of comes to mind for you for unsuccess stories to share your experience and help educate us. You know, so our model, we, we raise um, deals kind of on a direct investment basis. So not a fund. Each one, you know, is sort of standalone, which has its ups and downs, right? You know, the the upside is, you know, you really get to, as an investor, understand each each project. And as a sponsor, you kind of have to, you know, really have each deal, both from a marketing standpoint, underwriting, kind of stand, stand on its own, on its own two legs. And, you know, if a deal doesn't do that, frankly, you probably shouldn't do it. And, you know, I remember when I was thinking about this interview here, you know, kind of an interesting project we did that had a lot of unexpected twists and turns was this, we, we were buying a frozen food manufacturer up in upstate New York. Okay. And this was, it was probably, you know, maybe second or third year into Mad Capital. We had kind of, you know, really just started hitting our, our stride in terms of, you know, growing our investor uh, relationships and growing our, you know, ability to kind of scale. And this one was, was a bit of a stretch goal for us. And I think we launched this deal like right at the beginning of March, 2020. So <laughs> everyone's like, oh, that yeah. rings a bell. Yeah. Something <laughs> so, happened there. I can't really put my finger on it, but something. <laughs> something happened. Yeah. 
And so this particular deal, it was a sale leaseback structure. So the the owner, it was individually owned um, by this guy who had built this frozen food company. He sold sold his uh, you know frozen frozen goods to to Walmart, to Target as as white label um, products. So he would basically put like the Walmart brand or the Target brand, and but he would be the one actually making it. And you know that the financials of the company were strong and, you know, they were a little small. It was just a single location. Um, this guy was selling the real estate, going to lease it back and going to use the proceeds from the real estate to expand and open a second location in Florida. So that, you know, fairly common with our business model there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, the raise kicked off, it, it was going fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the news started coming out with COVID and restrictions and, Suddenly, something you know, especially being on the capital market side, happened that I'd never dealt with before. And people, you know, that I'd done multiple investments with, started you know getting a little squirrely and mm-hmm. getting nervous. And you know, really, everyone could see the you know the cracks in our our system, and you know, the world was changing very rapidly. And I started having you know a number of folks come and go. Hey, nothing personal. I like the deal. I like you guys, but right now I just, I need to keep my capital available because I don't know what's coming next. Right. And, and, you know, normally you get one or two of those, that's fine. But suddenly about half the commitments we had on this project, literally in the course of about 48 hours, just disintegrated. And, you know, we looked at this deal and went, all right, we really stand behind this. But I've never dealt with this, you know, or, and every new call I'm making is progressively harder and harder to, you know, connect on the fundamentals of steel just because it's, you know, being overshadowed by this huge amount of chaos going on in the background. So, you know, <laughs> we were talking a little bit and I remember at the time, you know, my brother was just joining. So, we, you know, we were, you know, really kind of our investor partnerships together. And, you know, I think we had a, a late night, a few beers, <laughs> kind of brainstorming, you know, going, how do we, you know, how do we like look at this project that we still, you know, really stand behind, but how do you do de-risk it in a way that this makes sense, even in the face of a massive amount of uncertainty. And so, you know, we went through and, you know, you look at the, the fundamentals of, of the, the company behind that lease. And we actually, you know, had myself and my partners, we had a very frank conversation with the owner said, Hey, this is, this is the case. You know, and he was like, ah, you know, I still stand behind this and people are going to need frozen foods, even if, you know, the world falls apart, like probably. Right. Right. And so we, you know, brainstormed a whole bunch and and our lender was getting a little nervous. And so this guy, he's like, all right, I'll call the lender and I'll, I'll personally guarantee, um, the, the lease as the tenant, which is kind of unheard of. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Because we as the buyers typically do that, but he actually was was willing to do that. And so he, he calls and they're still not satisfied because just, you know, they're getting nervous too. And we're back to the drawing table. And like, what more can we collateralize? And Sky, he's like, well, I could put up my boat, my RV. I mean, like, I mean, literally so, <laughs> so many like kind of non standard ways to add security to, you know, kind of a, a crazy scenario. And, you know, this guy actually, he had to go and I think he had to talk to his ex-wife a little bit because they had some things jointly held in their name together and was able to play. But ultimately, we got him to personally guarantee the lease and our, and our lease, or excuse me, um, the loan and our lease there. 
And that extra guarantee of his and his ex-wife's kind of personal net worth there was enough to, you know, really add the securitization we needed to go to investors and go, hey, here's like, you know, yet another, you know, kind of safety net, you know, that would stand between your investment and, and you know, chaos that might happen beyond that. And through this whole process of, you know, really brainstorming how to securitize the investment and the loan and, you know, get it all together. And ultimately we were able to, to squeak the equity in and, and purchase it. And the company's doing great. They ended up expanding down in Florida and, you know, all the people in it are, are happy, but at the time it was, you know, one of the most kind of chaotic, you know, you know, unanswered basket of questions I, I had sure. ever really dealt with in the real estate side. So talk me through, cause that that's interesting. We've heard a couple of people talk about some of the struggles with dealing with the beginning of COVID and all the news breaking and the kind of the world changing and just this unprecedented time and all the things that we've, we've done since. But in the beginning, we had even less information. So everyone was a little bit more scared about what's to come. What taught me through some of those conversations, what you guys did or talked about, because I would imagine, you know, we may never have another COVID who knows, but I would imagine people will face at least in their life, something unprecedented to them. So how did you guys go about it? What, how did y'all talk about it? You mentioned, you know, sitting around as we kind of talked about sitting around, you know, drinking a few beers, trying to talk through it. What are y'all doing? What are you saying? What are y'all thinking to help ultimately get you to a conclusion that ultimately worked out? Yeah, no, great question. You know, I think a lot of it was conversations about risk and, and I love, Talking about risk, you know, from the pilot side, we dealt with it a ton, right? And on the, the pilot side, we would kind of, we would separate risk kind of in two buckets, right? On one side, you had controllable risk and the other side, you had systemic risk, right? Mm-hmm. Systemic risk, anytime you go in the air, you know, there's a thousand things you can't really plan for. You know, you could, maybe your mechanic forgot to tighten the screws, right? And your, your propeller falls off. Maybe you hit a flock of geese, you know, two seconds after takeoff. These are things that there's not a lot you can do to, you know, kind of avoid, you know, besides your normal kind of inspections. And then you have control of risk. And that's, you know, look at the weather forecast. That's to, you know, to do a, a cursory safety inspection. That's to make sure your maintenance records are up to date, you know, and, and you know, really put a, a heavy focus on those controllable pieces and realize, Hey, there's a certain amount that I can't control, but does overall, does this still make sense? And, you know, I try to carry a lot of that to the real estate side and it was really kind of neat, you know, because you, you have, you know, especially in a single tenant model, you have this, you know, this risk of your tenant not paying rent. Right. But then you go, all right, what really would cause them not to pay rent? Right. Or, flipped over on its head, what, what is my securitization that income will continue coming here? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you really, for us, you know, we like to look for alignment, you know, and go, Hey, does, does the owner here, is he incentivized to pay rent and keep his company going? Or does he have incentive to walk away? And, you know, and some people maybe not incentive to walk away, but maybe they don't have a lot of pain points to walk away. Right. For this guy, you know, he's local, he's, you know, his lender was, I mean, literally the regional bank down the street, they were in the same country club together. And you're like, Hey, there's a lot of like social, you know, kind of connection on here too, that probably is an additional anchor, you know, from our perspective of why this guy 
really is, is, you know, fully committed to his business more so than, you know, if it was some, you know, New York private equity firm running it, <laughs> you know, that maybe didn't have those, you know, kind of local ties to the community. So anyway, to get back to your point, you know, really kind of just breaking it down on you know, what, what risks do we know, what risks don't we, and, and that's okay. And, and try to decide, okay, how do we mitigate the ones that we know and can control? Right. Oh, I love that. And I, and I think that's a probably one of the more valuable lessons we've had here is that understanding there's always risk in which ones can you control and which ones are you just going to be uh, okay with if they pop up and understand you're going to deal with them. So, man, Neil, I, that that's fantastic. I, I absolutely love that. I hate that y'all went through it, but, uh, you know, I would <laughs> imagine it was a, an incredibly valuable lesson. And, you know, I don't know of anything else that will better prepare y'all for anything else that pops up down the road yeah. other than dealing with a global pandemic <laughs> that shut down literally the entire world, at least for a little it, while. It, it forages you a little bit, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Know, we a lot, experience the, like that. Everyone got, uh, a lot of people got their black belt in 08. You got your, your black belt in 2020. <laughs> so, Funny, yeah. well, well, Neil, honestly, I can't thank you enough for joining us today for, for those that want to work with you, want to connect with you, want to invest with you. Uh, where's the best place people can find you at? Yeah, it just dropped me a line. You know, love to hear feedback on the show, any questions you have, or if you want to talk about investing in the industrial space. That's Neil N-E-I-L at Mag M-A-G C P for Capital Partners.com. Perfect. And we'll drop that in the show notes for everyone to be able to click on it quickly and find find Neil. Uh, again, Neil, thank you so much for joining us. It's it's honestly been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for having me, Cody. Absolutely. Hey, and everyone listening and watching at home, we appreciate y'all. We'll see you everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.